This call is being recorded. Welcome to another special COVID-19 edition of Sounder Art Podcast. Uh, we are looking for all sorts of ways to keep you interested and occupied. And Matt Doyle is with us today of MLSsoccer.com. And you served up an absolute layup to, like, I have to imagine this is going to be podcast fodder for yourself for, like, weeks <laughs> on end. Uh, you you served up a list of the 94 best foreign signings in MLS history. Um, I can't tell you that I've read every word of this, but I, I do know that there are seven sounders in this list. And so immediately I was like, hey, we could do a podcast about this. <laughs> you are welcome for the content, my friend. Yeah, I mean, this is um, this is fun stuff. So let's let's get into what brought this about i guess you were inspired by the top 100 english premier league transfers uh that ran on espn Mm -hmm. and you kind of made it sound like you didn't want to go into that depth and yet you ended up at 94. (laughs) yes um so it was less about the depth um and more about the like doing rankings is impossible it it really is because like how do you say you know where do you put Gustav Svensson, right? right? Like he's, right. he's he, he's a he's a signing that you don't you don't win a title without him, and you, yeah. you literally replace the the greatest D mid in league history in Seattle. So like he's clearly a, a top fifty signing, maybe top thirty, but then it's like he's only been there three years, so maybe yeah, lower than that. This ranking is too hard, so I just wanted to put him into like these sort of pots that determine what what kind of signing they are and it came up mm-hmm. with with the sort of the four the four groups and you know the first one is is the the savvy transfer move that that brings you know trophies or, or, or just on-field quality a lot yeah. of you know, guys who came in for free and then the, you know the second one uh was expensive transfer moves who bring trophies in, in quality you guys Margo Echeverry back in the day, or Joseph Martinez, Nico Ladero now. And then it's, you know, savvy transfer moves um, that bring quality and an outgoing fee. And there aren't a lot of those. Uh, right. And then expensive transfer moves that bring quality and an outgoing fee. And there are even fewer of those. And when you kind of look at it, like, that's it. That, those are the four, like, those are the four pots for, for MLS players. Uh, for foreign signings, I should say, in MLS over the last 24 years. You know, I'm going through this list, I'm kind of just browsing through it, and I'm amazed at some of the players who came into the league for free. I mean, that is by itself, I mean, I guess MLS kind of occupies a different world in that sense that, you know, I'm I'm, I'm guessing, well, I guess by definition, all the top uh, transfers in in England actually involved significant fees. But, like, how many of these are, like, organizational changing moves that were free transfers guys like Ignacio Piotti, who was even a pretty recent move. Um, you know, it just like you go down the list and it's like, wow, there's a lot of guys that were like, I guess considered excess, you know, fodder for wherever they were that ended up becoming absolute stars in MLS. And we know that that's not, you can't assume that's going to be the case, but were you, were you at all surprised to realize how many of these guys didn't require fee. I mean, like Javier Morales coming in on virtually no fee, you know, Guillermo Berescoloto 
same thing. Uh, you know, I actually didn't realize that David Beckham had no transfer fee. Um, mm-hmm. I always assumed there was some fee involved there. Uh, but anyway, um, were you were you at all surprised to realize like how many of these players on here had no fee at all attached to them or a very small fee? No, uh, because I, I've been around day one and I've been tracking it, and MLS sure. team uh, paying, you know, publicly playing and paying transfer fees. Uh, it, That's it's a, a very, point. it's a very recent phenomenon. You might even say the Sounders kind of invented that with the, yeah, with, and with I, the Freddie Montero situation. Yeah, and I actually remember when when they signed Oba, which I want to say at the time may have been either a record fee or a near record fee. Like at that point, they had already spent more on transfer fees than virtually every other team in the league. Um, and I guess maybe it's just my faulty short-term memory that's thinking like this was more of a fixture in the league before that than it was because yeah I mean now we're seeing teams paying fees like it's nothing um but I was very impressed that you included Leo Gonzalez in this who like you said is a player that I don't think a lot of Sounders fans would even know who he is and yet he's very fondly remembered in Seattle as you can you can probably imagine but what I always think was funny about Leo was that you know, he was effectively a starter for five or six years, but he was almost never the unquestioned starter. And like the Sounders were constantly trying to bring in someone that might be able to win the job, whether it be Mark Birch. I mean, Tyson Wall got us, you know, was competing w- with him for a while. Uh, you can go down the list and there was like every year there was some player who was competing for Leo's spot. And yet Leo was an absolutely reliable uh, not flashy, but very reliable and effective left back for some really good teams. Mm-hmm. And if you offer, like, probably talk to 26 GMs and say, I'm going to offer you a reliable, not flashy left back for the next five years, who's not going to be out of his depth in the biggest games. Um, right. 26 GMs would take that guy. 26 GMs would absolutely make that move. And that's the kind of like savvy under the radar move that has, I think, defined a lot of the better teams um, throughout the years. Going back to the original, you know, DC United team, so they actually, to be fair, they actually spent big on Echeverry um, and, and Moreno, relatively speaking, in the day. You know, and another player that is kind of similar, ex- different in that he was paid a much higher uh, salary. Like Leo, the other thing about Leo was that he was, you know, maybe making 100, 150 grand the whole time he was here, which, you know, even, you know, I guess when they first signed him, that was a fair amount to spend on a left back, but he was, he was a very good value, uh, especially during like the 2014 season. Uh, But another player they they brought on that I, that you, I think nailed the kind of attitude about when they brought him on was Kelvin Leardham, who they didn't pay a fee for, but I, I know my reaction was, wow, we're signing a Tam right back. But it's hard to argue that he hasn't lived up to his contract in every way possible. No, he, he absolutely has. And it was, I, I remember, I don't, I don't know whether it was on, on your show or maybe another one, but somebody, a, a Sounders fan asking me, like, did, did my team just overpay for a, a freaking right back? And I said, yeah, it was ridiculous. You're giving Tam to a guy who's, just, you know, and but the fact that he was free 
And then the fact with the way Tam worked, you know, where you could buy him down and fit him into a $200,000 cap space instead of the $500,000, it was brilliant from Garth. And then on yeah. top of that, like if you just look at how Kevin Kelvin Lerdam has played, he's been a top four or five, maybe even higher right back for the past two and a half, three years. So it, it in retrospect, on every level, yeah, it, it like the doubts were there, but the doubts were stupid. The move absolutely made sense. Yeah, uh, and to kind of go finish going through the guys that you listed as as or that that you made this list that were on freeze, and I actually had overlooked that you had Mauro Rosales on here, so we actually have eight Sounders on this list. But uh, we may as well talk about Mauro Rosales. Um, he was a player who I think was the exact kind of player that MLS was the good MLS teams were able to capitalize on. And like this, at that point in the league's history in 2010, 2011, 2012, a player who had this ceiling somewhere else, maybe fell out of favor for one reason or another. I think with, with Rosales, it was that he had suffered some injuries but then he he had an MVP caliber 2000. I want to say 2011 was his kind of MVP caliber season. But he was very good for the Sounders for uh, 11, 12, 13, like 10, 11, 12. Or no, I guess he came in in 11. So his probably his his uh, MVP caliber season was probably 12. But then he was still very good in 13, and he was uh, he was a D, he was even a DP for this team. And I don't think. For at least a couple years, it felt like he very much belonged in that spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're overstating it with MVP caliber. Um, I, I think he was, you know, if we did like first 11, second, second 11, all MLS type of thing. I think he would have been, you know, second second 11 type of guy, or second team all MLS type of guy. Um, and, and, you know, a match winner in big games. Um, and, yeah, Rosales was part of that. That was right after Javi Morales, Soloto, David Ferreira, you know, that group had come in, and then that just opened the pathway for so many South American playmakers, um, including Morrow, and even though he wasn't like a central number 10, he was absolutely a playmaker. There were some yeah. good players, and that was, like, I had a lot of fun writing this column, specifically because I got to go in the time machine, and I got to go back and remember guys like that, or remember you know, Christian Gomez, who was so great for four or five years in D.C. in the middle of the aughts when the league was, you know, still kind of like finding footing. So um, there were some moments, man. It, it was – I hope people have as much fun reading it as I did uh, writing it. Well, it's, it's, if nothing else, it serves as a reminder of – you know, a lot of these guys weren't necessarily – like, Rose Salas had really two very good years. I guess 11 and 12 were both very good years. He kind of dropped off a bit in 13 and then he got traded. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these guys fit in, fit that kind of mold where they were absolutely, you know, best 11 contenders for a year or two. Maybe they didn't have the longevity because they came into the league a little older. But uh, guys that are, I think, easily forgotten uh, unless you were a hardcore fan of that team um, that, that you bring up in this. And, and that's you know, that, that makes it fun, I think, is, is kind of the whole, like, what we found is remembering guys is just, like, a lot of fun to do. Um, <laughs> but one of, one guy you don't have to do a lot of remembering on is Gustav Svensson, who you just need to go back to MLS Cup 2019, which uh, was effectively three games ago in the world of MLS. Um, 
he was, for me, the MVP of that game. I was amazed at how good he was, especially when you contrast it to how slow he sometimes looked in the 2017 final against a, a pretty similar, you know, obviously against TFC also, but a team that I thought was of similar, uh, a lot of similar kind of personnel. Uh, and Svensson somehow has ratcheted up his game as he's gotten older, it seems, in MLS. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to say that he, you know, he, he wasn't in the best 11 last year, but I, I think he's one of those players who, for whatever reason, is not properly appreciated outside of people that are paying the closest attention. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's kind of the case for, for defensive midfielders. And to be fair, like people who, who love their teams, Always feel that way about yes, the defensive midfielders. Of course. Like we just had we just had Peter Wilt, um, who of course was the original architect of those great Chicago Fire teams for, from you know ninety eight to two thousand five. Uh, we just had him on uh, on extra time, and we asked him, you know, Mount Rushmore question, and he's like, "Oh, Chris Armis. Chris Armis was underrated. Uh, you know, one of the most underrated players, MLS players of all time." And I was like, "He was." Five times best eleven, and <laughs> up until up until Ozzy Alonso, he was regarded as hands down the best defensive midfielder in MLS history. So I'm not sure that he's you know underrated, which is not to dunk on you. I mean, you know, Svensson is a little bit underrated, but that's also in part because he's played some center back, he's played some right back, he played the whole time in Ozzy's shadow. There was always yeah. some talk about you know what he's not doing. And the whole time he's been in and out of the lineup with, you know, international duty. So it's well, I think that that, that to me is actually kind of one of the things that that makes it easy to, like that that makes me feel like he's a little underappreciated. Is that how many times has MLS had an active player for a European national team, and not just some ran? You know, it's not like it's for Montenegro or something. I mean, he's he's regularly getting called into the Swedish national team, which is a, you know, you know, a top, certainly a top 16, you know, a team that you expect to be in the Euros at the, at the very least every year or every four years. And a team that's constantly contending for, you know, world cup spots in, in the most competitive uh, federation. Um, and he's, you know, he's not a starter necessarily all the time for Sweden, but he's, he is getting called into basically every camp at this point. And I think it's kind of notable that he wasn't, he had only gotten like a couple sniffs at the national team before he came to Seattle. And then all of a sudden he's had this kind of career revival uh, at around 30 years old when he came to Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was unquestionably a great signing and that's how he, or that's why he's on the list. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, not, and I'm not, the two interesting ones that I thought about with the founders and I couldn't put them on were, were Kim Kihi just because he wasn't there long enough. Yeah, um, and Victor Rodriguez. Yeah. Like, do oh, we, yeah, that's yeah. Make, make the case. You know, I don't. You know, and those are. I was trying to. Th- you know, in my in my. It was funny when I was going through the players that you had on this list from the Sounders. I was like, you know, I'm pretty. First of all, I was like, you know, I. I it's hard to complain when you've got you know close to ten percent of the list is your team, and there's twenty six <laughs> teams in the league. Like, so I'm not going to sit here and say like the Sounders didn't get respected. And I was, and, I, and so I was kind of going through my head, like, at the same time, I feel like there's maybe some players on here who could have been on here. Um, and I guess if, of, of, and I, and I don't think realistically, I can say definitively that, you know, Kim Kihi, Victor Rodriguez, 
you know, I suppose the other ones that would maybe be in contention are Roman Torres, but I, I think there's good reasons for him not to be on there. And and the the other one that I I would have maybe been inclined to put on there only because he had one season that is still among the best in MLS history, and that's Michael Schwerning, who, if not for Jimmy Nielsen playing out of his mind that year, probably would have won goalkeeper of the year, and I think had a decent shout for winning goalkeeper of the year in 2012. Uh, but that he was only here for two years. I don't know that there's a ton of goalkeepers on this list anyway. But there um, are no yeah, there are he, no goalkeepers. There are no goalkeepers on the list. As I as well, I there you go. At, at the top of the article, also no goalkeepers were considered. Apologies to Jimmy Nielsen and only Jimmy Nielsen. So there you go. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. Um, although I really would like to have seen Frank Roast on there. Um, <laughs> that's that's the guy, the, the Red Bull. That was the first DP from the Red Bulls, or the first uh, goalkeeper DP, right? Correct, correct. Okay, I just want to make sure I didn't butcher his name. but um, No, you got it, you got it. Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of DP uh, successful DP signings, and I would maybe say there have been no successful goalkeeper DPs in this league. Uh, I, I don't think you can say Tim Howard lived up to his DP status, um, and I would say there are, and he might be the closest one. I don't think Guzan was ever signed as a DP, but I don't necessarily think he would have played to a DP status. Have there? Am I missing? Am I forgetting someone that should be mentioned as a that got a DP contract as a goalkeeper that actually seemed worth it. The only ones I could think of are, are Rust and Howard. I don't. I, I well, there was the union, the union guy who. Oh, uh, right. Uh, yeah. Was, was he actually a DP? Did they sign him as a I DP? I thought he was. I God, thought he was. Um, I know. No, I, I, I mean, uh, why, why would you, why would you, why would you sign a goalkeeper as a DP? It's, I don't know. I still don't know why. Well, I would say this for for Colorado, they did it because Howard brought apparently a ton of sponsorship by that. Um, so there were business metric reasons okay. for that. Well, fair enough. But yeah, uh, but we're not we're not talking about goalkeepers. No, we're not talking about goalkeepers. I'm sorry for for uh, for sidetracking this. Yes, um, and you didn't include Ozzy Alonso, I think, for good reason, uh, and that was a totally justified. You explained it in the story that it basically was you didn't want to include players who came through domestically, uh, and mm-hmm. he obviously came to to Seattle from the USL. Uh, he had played a season in Charleston, and and I, that that makes total sense. I think why you wouldn't necessarily include them, even though I think the the Sounders supposedly played some small transfer fee uh, to get him from the Charles from the Charleston Battery, mm-hmm. which probably goes down in history as the best money any team has ever spent. Um, <laughs> probably, yeah, uh, but. Yeah, you. I, I think may, of all those players, I, w- I would love to say Victor Rodriguez could have been on this list if only because he was so good when he was healthy. And But I think what it would be very hard for me to justify you including him because he wasn't healthy very much. I mean, I, we've crunched the numbers on Sounder Hart a few times, but I want to say he played in something like 60% of the available minutes. Um, and that's just... For a player who wasn't getting called into national team camps, you know, it's like you kind of hold your nose and accept that a Clint Dempsey might only play in 60% of the minutes because he's just not available for various reasons all the time. But, you know, part of the reason you signed a Victor Rodriguez is because you're expecting him to be available more often than that. And he just was not available enough. And um, I'm, I was 
thrilled as anyone to see him play the way that he did in MLS Cup. And maybe that performance alone justifies some consideration for this list. But I think you're you're correct in not including him. Um, and then of the center backs between Torres and Kihi, I would be partial towards Kim Kihi as well. Uh, and if only because he was such a constant presence. And I think, you know, we we you know one of the things you guys talked about a lot on on extra time is the Chad Marshall theorem. Is that what it was called? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the the idea that you can bring in a essentially a franchise changing center back that basically allows you a lot of flexibility to do a lot of other things because this center back is so good and he will cover up a lot of your warts. And I think that Chad Marshall did that. But what I think also gets overlooked is Kim Kihi overlapped a lot of time with Chad Marshall, but didn't actually play with Chad that much because Chad, that also coincided with Chad starting to get hurt and and not playing as much. And Kim was hurt, I think, a lot by a constantly rotating cast of partners. And he wasn't necessarily, he definitely was not a Chad Marshall type center back who you could just plug in and say, hold down the fort as the kind of the wall in the back. He he was much more comfortable following forwards up to the the, the midfield line and and doing and in, in you know with the ball at his feet. And, you know, we've seen him kind of making, making some moves and like he one, you know, the, the thing that I think will stand out for me for a long time is, you know, the centers are playing a three center back set at Portland last year. And he's the guy who drives forward and hits the cross that then ends up being the own goal that gives him that late, that late right. season win over Portland. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would have a hard time, I think, putting him in this list. And so I think you actually are justified in leaving the player. I, I can't make the case that, you yeah. snubbed anyone. The, the, I didn't even realize this from looking at it right now. Kim actually has more MLS regular season minutes than Roman Torres does. Yeah, I'm not I'm not at all surprised by that because Torres spent so much of his time either hurt or I mean he was here for obviously much, much longer, for two years longer, I believe. Uh hmm. but he he was hurt a lot. Like so he only played a few games that first year because he he got hurt. And then he came in unfit you know he he never came into camp fit uh for a variety of reasons um and so he would end up missing games for little niggling injuries at various times and then of course he missed like 10 games with a suspension um and you add all that up and then he had he had national team duty that he missed games for you know he was missing big chunks of the summer every year for varieties of reasons or for national team duty um so yeah that doesn't surprise me but yeah uh Kim Kim quietly played a ton of minutes while he was here. I mean, he he started something like I think he started thirty games both years that he was here, right? Uh, twenty eight and thirty. Okay, so close. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, he was really consistent. I re- I liked him a lot, and I was he was the I of all the players that Sounders didn't bring back this last offseason, I think he was the one I was most surprised by because mm-hmm. he wasn't on a huge number. I mean, he was on a bigish number. But I, I don't know, I guess maybe they just made a calculated risk that they could, you know, they would rather spend a little more money on someone like Jamar Gomez Andrade than have Kim Kihi back at the number that he would have, that he was willing to come back right. at. And I don't know what they actually offered him, but I would, I'm, it must have been a significant pay cut um, because I'm sure he's not getting more. To, to, uh, I mean, he's probably getting, I don't know, he's, I'm sure it was less than what he, he ended up getting in Korea. Um, 
but I would love to have had him. And I think that that's still a position that's uh, the biggest concern for the Sounders, assuming there's games this year, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is, you know, and, and Shane O'Neill's been fine, uh, but there's just not one guy who I think you can say he's locked down the, you know, this is like, I, I think the upside of Gomez Andrade and Javier Arriaga are very high, but I, we haven't seen that yet. Um, so we'll remains to be seen, but you know, moving forward into some of the other players that you highlighted on the Sounders, Nico Ladero, obviously it looks like you have him. He's in italic. So I guess that means he's among your top 25 and you also kind of, make allusions to maybe this is one of the best signings in league history. Is that, is that overstating it? No, it's not overstating it. Um, he's, you know, he's a guy who uh, is probably already a top 10 signing. When you consider the, the money that they spent on him, $6 million is a bargain. Um, Especially now yeah. when you, you look at the kind of guys that yeah. the league is bringing in at $6 million and they are not, build your franchise and win two almost cups around the right right and and he's been he's been the man on both sides of the ball he's played as an inverted right wing playing through balls or he's played as a number 10 he's been you know the the couple of times they've tried to press he's been good for that he's a game dictator like he's everything you want out of a modern number 10 um and if he I, i guess the one thing that kind of separates him out of that absolute apex group is that he hasn't had the one monster regular season, you know? Yeah, like ten goals and nineteen assists, and you know MVP candidate the entire season long. But that really ha- that's just not how the Sounders play the regular season these days. So it, it's something that I, I mean, you know, <laughs> wins two more MLS Cups and doesn't really matter about that, does it? Yeah, uh, but that's go ahead. That was gonna say, that always seems to be the, 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 the one thing that keeps – like, I, I want Nico to put up these big numbers just because I want him to get the attention that comes with, you know, a 10-goal, 19-assist season or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, his, his best season, I guess, is, what, eight goals, 16 assists that he had in, in 18. And even that was built a lot – there was a lot of secondary assists in there. And, 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 you know, there's just, like, little things, but – I don't know if there's another player that I would rather have, you know, grinding out games essentially. And it's like, he has that weird mix of being able to grind and putting in all this effort. And yes, he's also capable of these amazing plays. And there's just not a lot of players. Like he seems built for MLS in that way that, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't just kind of muscle him out of the game essentially. Uh, and then you have Raul Ruiz Diaz. I, I love that all the big signings the Sounders made have made this list. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, Raul Ruiz Diaz. Uh, Freddie Lundberg, you know, all the big signings. Well, those guys weren't, those weren't, those, you know, those weren't really big signings. Those were DPs and, you know, those, like Blaze Kupo is not a player who's going to get a, who not be a DP in uh, 2019, 2020. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. But the, the, what the sounder, by that, I mean, the, the, the players the Sounders have spent a lot of money on, you know, it's paid big fees for, have worked out. Uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz is, is actually the player that I think they've spent the most money on to acquire, um, although maybe it would have been not quite as much as, as Nico. And you say he hasn't been jo- Joseph Martinez, but 
in the in the in the regular season, but when you add in his postseason numbers, they're really high up there. The other thing I've been fond of pointing out with Raul Ruiz Diaz is that his numbers, unlike uh, Joseph Martinez or Zlatan or uh, you know, really those are the two players that stand head and shoulders in terms of goals per ninety above everyone else. And then you have a, a pool of players below them like uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz. But if you cut out penalties, and up until this last game against the Crew. Uh, Rui Diaz had never taken a penalty from the from open play. Rui Diaz is as good is basically right on par, especially if you're looking and you know if you include his playoff production, he's right on par with Martinez and Ibrahimovic in terms of goals from open play per ninety. Mm-hmm. He's been good and, fighting, man. He's, he's been and, and like you know the 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 playoff thing. Um, pushes certain players over the top and it's it's what it's like a striking contrast to you know oba and freddie oba yes. and freddie were, were 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 fantastic players i think you know 2014 oba had a real argument for for league mvp um but he didn't bring it to the playoffs and that's tough that no makes, again that, that makes it so tough to to judge to judge these players and, and say okay this guy was objectively a better signing than that guy there's just so many variables no and i totally agree and that brings us to the the final two players on this on the sounders list is oba and freddie both players who were very productive and i think rightfully make this list but you i do think fairly point out that neither one of them had a goal uh and and frankly weren't really even goal dangerous in the playoffs uh despite plenty of opportunities you know oba in particular you know you have 2014 this is a a, a team that was, I think, among the great MLS squads of all time, the 2014 Sounders, uh, although I think that the, the LA Galaxy of that same year probably are also in that running and, and on the field show that they were probably better than the Sounders that year. But you look at how far, how close the Sounders came to winning a MLS Cup that you're or to being the first treble winner in MLS history – and you consider that they didn't get a single goal. I don't think they got even a single assist from Obafemi Martins during those playoffs. That's pretty pretty damning in terms of where he sits in the all-time list, unfortunately. Um, but he was he was a player who, at the time, I think was a near-record signing for the league in terms of how much money the spent the Sounders spent. And he was also, I think, notably a player. I think he was the first player that a MLS team went to Europe and got effectively over the objections of the team he was currently on. Like the Sounders essentially bullied Levante into selling them. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember that story exactly. Um, so well, I'll I'll t- I, I will, well, I'll tell you the story for the, for those of, for my listener, our listeners who maybe don't remember the, the Levante uh, transfer saga, essentially what happened was the Sounders, you know, offered to pay a fee for him. Levante was in the middle of a, of a Europa League campaign of which Oba was their leading scorer at the time. Uh, they were offering Oba a big raise. He had come to Levante on a free transfer. He, want, he wanted his payday, right? And Levante was like, no, we're not, we're not letting him go. Sounders said, okay, fine, we'll pay his release clause. His release clause was $3 million or thereabout. Levante's like, well, we're not going to accept the release clause. Uh, and so there's, there's the whole thing where essentially what happened is when it comes apparently in Spain and a release clause has to be paid by the player himself. And so 
apparently what happened was Obafemi Martins went to the bank, paid $3 million, you know, the equivalent of $3 million to get out of his contract. Now, I'm sure he was reimbursed for that by the Sounders, but it was this whole kind of ordeal where uh, he was saying he, he wasn't going to, you know, he, he was saying he was going to stop training and doing all these things. And, and at least for me, it, it showed that, you know, maybe MLS can play in the world transfer market. And, and I think he, for the, you know, he, he was up and down in 2013, mainly because he wasn't able to stay healthy. But man, in 2014, and when he was healthy in 2015, uh, yeah. it, that was a lot of fun to watch. That, I mean, that partnership with him and Dempsey was unreal. Like, it's I mean, still it's, one of the most fun teams ever to watch. Yeah. Uh, did you give any consideration to including Americans who returned to MLS uh, or were coming to MLS for the, uh, were there, are there any Americans on this list at all that aren't? I assume, no. right? Nope. No. I, I only, so nobody who came from the draft, American or not, nobody who signed from the American lower tier. So that's not just Ozzy. That's guys like uh, Stern John. Uh, right. Yosef say Shalry Joseph. Um, they, they were, yeah, they, and he would, you know, he would be a top 10 signing of all time. Oh, uh, I would of, think so. Yeah. Um, so those guys weren't considered. And then, yeah, I, I didn't, it's, it's imports, right? So it's not yeah, Americans sure. and it's not Canadians. And it's, I was like, I have to, you know, I have to draw the line. Uh, yeah. And that was, that was the determining factor. Another guy who um, I think would have been considered, but came from the lower divisions. Sebastian Latou. Sebastian Latou had a great MLS career, and I still think that letting him go after that first season was one of Ziggy's big mistakes. Oh, I, I, I think actually, you'd find a lot of agreement in Seattle. Uh, okay. I, I, I think that that's the one that's for a long time, it was the decision that the Sounders messed up. Like they've had such a long, they have a long list of things that worked out really well in their favor. And I think even if you look at the list of players who they've let go kind of over objections of the fan base at large, like maybe Obafemi Martins is maybe a, a good example of a player who the fans probably would have preferred to keep all things being equal. And, but there's not a lot of players who, when you see their career play out after they leave Seattle, you go, Oh yeah, that was, we could have had that. And we don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sebastian Latou at the top of that list, especially for players that, you know, the one that got away and it wasn't like, you know, the Sounders made a big deal out of bringing him into the USL side. He was the, I think he was the first signing they made as an MLS team. And, and he was, you know, he was like the star player for their USL team. So he was, he was a very, and he was productive his first year in Seattle. So it wasn't like, you know, I think they decided to basically protect like Tyrone Marshall or something like that in the expansion draft instead of Sebastian Latou, which does not play out well in, in the annals of time. <laughs> um, no, no, you know, not begrudging Tyrone Marshall, but I don't think he was even a regular starter in the 2010 squad. And, uh, and Sebastian Latou went on to have like an MVP caliber, you know, a couple MVP caliber seasons in, in Philadelphia. Um, but yeah, that was that, that Sebastian Latou is a, is a good one. And, and it's one of those ones that it's like, Hard to imagine how he ended up on the USL Sounders, uh, frankly, but in the first place. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's there's who was there one player on this list that you 
had maybe not given a lot of thought about until you started really digging into the research and were kind of like, oh yeah, that guy. I, I had I had forgotten how great and dominant uh, Christian Gomez was. He he was a, a little Argentinian number ten who came to DC United about midway through the 2004 season, and when he got there, suddenly that team clicked. And that was their first year post Echeverry, and they hadn't been good for a few years, but that was their first year post Echeverry, and he got on the field, and he was, you know, the best player on the team and probably the best player in the league, um, and they, you know, they went on to, to win MLS Cup, and then he was best 11 in 2005, he was best 11 MVP, won the Sport Shield in 2006, best 11 again, another Sport Shield in 2007. Um, it, like he had, he had a three, four year run with DC United, which stands up to what guys like Ladero have done in, you know, what Valeri, not, not the same numbers as Valeri, but, um, but what a lot of these great modern number tens have done. And when we think about the, the pipeline of South American playmakers, it, we usually think about it starting with Javier Morales. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, he had an amazing season. It's a full decade with RSL. Um, he was one of the elite premier chance creators this league has ever seen. But it actually started a few years before that. It started with Christian Gomez. Um, and I had forgotten that. And the other cool thing is that Christian Gomez is actually older than me. And he only, <laughs> he, he only retires last summer so he was out wow making me feel young for about a decade longer than he should have been well that that's alone i suppose is a reason to be uh (laughs) to have enjoyed walking down memory lane for you uh is there one team you know i I guess i'm kind of laying you up here potentially but is there one team that you think has done a better job of generally speaking with foreign signings than than, than any other team in the league? Yeah, Team Bruce Arena. Uh, you know, Fair it was enough. Bruce who, it was Bruce who scouted and signed Marco Echeverri, Jaime Moreno, and, and Rural Diaz RSA, you know, back in, in the day. And it was Bruce who was able to to get Robbie Keane uh, in, in, in 2011. And, you know, those, those are the two unquestioned dynasties in MLS history. Um, so nobody, Yeah, I suppose that's hard to no, argue with. Yeah, nobody's done it as, as well as Bruce, and um, I know a lot of refs fans are out there hoping he still has that magic. Uh, with apparently a player named Adam Buxa, eh, you know, we we shall see. So, yeah, are you disappointed absolutely. I didn't? Say, are you disappointed I didn't say the I, Sounders? I mean, I am, of course, but I yeah. can't argue. But now that, but you, I this is why I asked was because I had a feeling that maybe they they weren't, but. Uh, because I'm I'm guessing if you go through who engineered the most signings on this list, I'm guessing it's Bruce Arena. Yeah, Bruce, probably Ziggy. I mean, Ziggy definitely had a hand in a bunch of them. Like, I, I think he was the one who got Carlos Ruiz. He's the one who got Scalotto. Okay, yeah, he was. You know, like, yeah. th- those are, like, this is MLS coaching Mount Rushmore. Those two guys are there because their teams won, but their teams won because they both had a pretty great eye for for talent and, and, and making teams come together. 
Um, so I, and even guys like I didn't think about Gonzalo Pineda for this list because he only played two years, but Gonzalo Pineda was a great signing, and that was Ziggy. Yeah, you know, so, he was. So like, like figuring out like Marcelo Sarvas. Nobody thinks about Marcelo Sarvas anymore, but that team was better with Marcelo Sarvas than they were with yeah. David Beckham. You know, like like this is yeah. like yeah, guys, you, you have to be able to do that in order to win on a budget. Yeah, and I would even say, like, another player who I had, I had thought of that maybe, I don't know if he played enough, but Jimmy Traore actually had some really, was really important player for the Sounders for uh, for a couple years. Um, and he was like with Pineda, where he was this veteran of a foreign league who came in and just kind of brought something that the team was really missing. And, and he was free. And he was a player who wasn't necessarily a high-profile signing when they made him. Um, you know, he was mainly remembered as, oh yeah, he was on that Liverpool team that won that won Champions League. That's right. Right. Um, but yeah, they there's a, I'm sure that you you have a, a long list of players who didn't quite make this list. Uh, I'm very impressed that you put it together. What else do you have in the works at, at MLS? You 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 had the the deep dive on the on the national team on on what the the World Cup 2022 is going to look like and uh, you know what else you got in the works here. I think we're going to do players who should have been stars. Um, but ah uh, yes, yeah, I might call them the the you know team Justin Mapp. Um, and uh, oh yeah, Justin Mapp should have been a star man. He should have been a thirty million dollar winger. He was ridiculous. Um, and then going to do some of the most important goals in MLS history. Um, I'm going to do, you know, that blue sky daydreaming piece I did for the U S national team. I'm going to do that yes. for our Canadian friends. I want to talk oh, good. about how great Canada is going to be. Because it was kind of a shame that you didn't find a place for Alfonso Davies on the, on the, <laughs> on the U S national team. You need to get off Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that was gold. That was gold. Uh, Absolutely how you, gold. How do you not have Alfonso Davies on this team? Well, it's the wrong country. But uh, no, that'll be that. It's it's amazing. Like I would think it was only a few years ago that it wouldn't even feel worth putting together a Canadian uh, version of that. But now Canada all of a sudden has a, a team that has, uh, you know, you can you can make like a solid uh, case for you know probably thirty guys. I'm guessing uh, to put into that team, which makes that fun makes yeah. doing that project well, fun it, it it does and um you know they have a, actually a lot of talent coming up as well i got a couple of very good players in the uh in the toronto academy so we'll see but i mean that's that's often been the case for canada where you, you look at their young talent and you're like oh this is going to mean something and then you know they never got like marcos bustos remember him from vancouver and you know other young players of that generation they just never they never get their chance. They never become good pros. And I think the big hope up there is that between the three MLS clubs and, um, you know, the MLS two teams and then the, the Canadian soccer league, that they will finally have the infrastructure to get players meaningful, you know, first team minutes uh, and can actually develop into a team that can at the very least make the hexagonal. Yeah. Well, or or when Washington gets um, added to Canada, uh, they'll be right. able to <laughs> dramatically add to their talent base. But um, 
anyway, I appreciate you taking the time. I hope uh, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're you're more importantly staying sane. Uh, it can be. I, I I know. I can only imagine what you're going through because it's tough enough being at home where I have a deck and can be outside and can walk around my neighborhood without any uh, personal protection. Um, I I hope you guys are through are are at least through the worst of it and hope to uh, be having games to talk about um, one day at this point this season. So yeah, I need soccer back. So I know, I know it would make, it would make this a lot easier if you could be camped in front of your TV watching live soccer, right? Yeah. Well, all right, uh, Matt, I really appreciate it and uh, take care of yourself, man. It was good to talk to you. Be good. All right. You're listening to the Sound Hurt Podcast.